Welcome to TV Chinwag, where we take one part cheeky talk, two parts witty banter, and dump in a whole heaping spoonful of snark. It's TV Chinwag. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Jules. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first inaugural episode of TV Chinwag. I'm your host, Ryan, and with me is my co-host, Jules. Hello, Ryan, and hello, everyone out there in podcast lands. Yes, welcome to our pilot. Hopefully, we get picked up. <laughs> but if not, <laughs> you can keep this on your phone as a memory of how wonderful we were for one hour. <laughs> That's right. It's the public pilot. Yes. <laughs> not everyone uh, gets to listen to a pilot. And uh, hopefully, it will be better than most pilots that I've seen, because... Uh, a lot of times, not so good. Well, we can always recast after the first one, Ryan. So, you know, <laughs> just make sure you keep your game up. I would start on this side. <laughs> yeah. So what is the show about? We're going to get together, hopefully once a week, and uh, talk about our favorite television shows. We're going to talk about, try to keep it to two shows per episode, uh, and discuss what we like and what we don't like about them. Um we we were talking in sort of Jules and my discussions about, you know, is it a good idea to do all the shows or just a couple shows and talk about the same episodes? And I think the format that we're going to go for, and this might change, is we'll talk about two episodes every week and then change it up. And eventually, after, uh, who knows, we'll probably come around to the same shows again. <laughs> yeah, so we won't be doing, you know, weekly recaps of 400 shows. And I like the idea that uh, we'll get a chance to go in depth on shows, um, hopefully shows that uh, not everyone's watching, but a few, of course, that we are all watching, because um, Ryan and I want to, you know, get get you hooked into some new shows, because there's heaps of amazing stuff out there at the moment, and it's pretty hard to keep up with it all. I should say we did a spreadsheet before we started this of all the shows we watch. Ryan and I watch a lot of television. Way too much. <laughs> ridiculous amounts. For people who still have full-time jobs, we watch ridiculous amounts of television. And we should probably point out, we, we do come from an interesting perspective in that I'm in Australia, as you may have picked up from the accent, and Ryan's in Vancouver. Uh, so we are crossing the world. Hopefully we might even pick up along some way the way some, uh, some of our own local product that uh, doesn't get as much publicity as... Uh, you know, most of the U.S. and some of the U.K. stuff does. Absolutely. As soon as they start making the good stuff, we'll share. <laughs> well, as far, as far as Australia goes, that might be another decade or so, so don't hold your breath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's too bad because um, I would love to watch more shows from different countries, but it seems to be really stuck between the two. Once in a while, Canada gets something decent, but uh, hopefully something will come up in the near future. Yes, uh, we used to be lucky in Australia that we got more of a you know taste of around the world as well as local stuff, but um, certainly the US product tends to dominate these days. Um, but even so, there's a rich diversity these days. I don't want to say the golden age of television. I think we might be onto the platinum age. Um, but there really is, uh, as far as diversity goes, I remember you know a few years ago it was either. Uh, you know, hospital dramas or procedurals, and um, we've come a long way from that. Absolutely, and and there's not as many police detective shows around. I mean, I think back in the mid two, early two thousands, it seemed like every damn show was CSI or trying to be CSI. <laughs> what do you think? Back tried to, to be 
Sorry, I was going to say, you think back to the 90s and really if you weren't a legal drama, a hospital drama or a police procedural, it was a rare thing. Um, and I think in the last 10 years, and part of that I think I suppose is the, is the model of, of broadcasting has changed with, um, uh, you know, cable stations developing and now of course with um, internet broadcasting with places like Netflix and, and Amazon Prime really opening up... Um, the way we get to see TV and that means that a whole lot of different products can get out there. Absolutely. I think, what was it, 15 years ago when The Sopranos sort of debuted, that was really started to kickstart where people could take television seriously, people could look at, you know, these serialized dramas and realize that they're, you know, they're they're 12-hour movies or 24-hour movies uh, and they can be played out that way and take their time with characters and development and, uh, to me, that was sort of the turning point, I think, for a lot of people as to what a great medium it can be. It's certainly come a long way since the half-hour serialized comedy, which hasn't gone away, obviously. But <laughs> Unfortunately, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Oh, because we really need another decade of two and a half men. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the way people watch TV has changed. Uh, you know, the the ability to record and time shift, to, to watch on mobile devices and all that, to um, possibly watch things uh, not so legally uh, over the internet. Uh, you know, all that's changed how we watch stuff too. But I think you're right about the, you know, just the format of storytelling is so different. It used to be, you know... Uh, you're either a serialised, which meant you were a soap opera, you were episodic, which meant you were a procedural, or you're a half-hour comedy. And now, um, as you say, we really have the sort of storytelling we used to see only in the cinema, except TV can do it over 10 or, 10 or 12 hours. Bring it on. More and more and more, <laughs> please. I want more of that. Um, but here, let's break into some news, if we could, because this was just announced yesterday, and it's sort of speaks to that. Um, Marvel is producing a new series called Daredevil, which was based on the the movie that had come out years ago with Ben Affleck. Yes. Uh, they've just changed showrunners. It was Drew Goddard originally who was the writer and the showrunner. He's now pulled out, um, which is funny because Edgar Wright just pulled out of Ant-Man, which was also a Marvel Studios production. What's going on uh, behind the scenes? Exactly. <laughs> But interesting is they replaced Goddard with Stephen Denimes. Yay! <laughs> that's right. You should have known who I'd we be loved. all over this news. That's right. So we loved from um, all of the awesome, amazing work that he did on Spartacus. Absolutely. I mean, he he also you know has got a background before that, uh, and I think worked with Drew on uh, on back in the Whedon days on Buffy. Um, but his work on Spartacus was just incredible, um, and. I'm really excited now for Daredevil, not, uh, which hadn't been something really on my radar until and, until this news. Yeah, I think they're doing uh, 12 episodes, 13 episodes, um, filming in New York from what I've heard. Um, I, I was not a fan of the movie, to be honest with you. I, I don't read the comics, but you put Stephen Denight on something and I'm going to watch it. Because he's done an amazing job with it, anything else that I've seen before. And I think, you know, um, and Ryan and I both huge fans of Spartacus, you know, for a number of reasons. One, it had a, a really unique uh, visual style um, and took some risks there. But also it had, 
you know, for the subject matter, it, it took the characters and the plot in really unexpected ways uh, for TV. And I think he proved himself, you know, a really bold showrunner uh, in going against sort of expectations that Spartacus was going to be some sort of 300 ripoff um, and, and very, you know, sort of a, a shallow tale, which he developed into something that was an incredibly rich piece of drama. Absolutely. I think it puts 300 to shame, to be honest with you. The the story that he told with Spartacus was fantastic. Amazing, actually. And uh, I'm excited to see what he can do with this. He's been trying to get his his own um, series incursion uh, off the ground for years now, which is sort of a, a futuristic um, police sort of procedural, I believe. Um, but he's been having a heck of a time. I know they were shopping around with stars for quite a while, and I don't think they they just couldn't get it picked up for some reason. Um, it's not dead yet, from what he says on Twitter, but it's it's definitely been lying dormant for a long time. So, you know, maybe he picks up Daredevil and knocks it out of the park, and that's what's what it's going to take. Uh, who knows? So the question I have, Ryan, is uh, we're seeing a bit talking about similarities between TV and, and movies. Um, the rise of the superhero and the comics franchises, uh, you know, DC and Marvel. We've got, um, you know, Arrow. We've got The Flash coming up next season on TV. We've got Gotham. Which Gotham. He's looking, certainly the trailer looks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, starring Ben McKenzie as a young um, Commissioner Gordon when he was on the beat. Uh, we've got, I think, Agent Carter is going to be a 10-ep ten, uh-huh. ten run. Uh uh-huh. Are we Constantine? Uh, Constantine, um, you know, it's it's a long way from you know a, a decade ago where we hardly had any of these properties. But do you think we're in danger of getting a bit swamped? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I was looking at the list of Marvel, uh, besides Daredevil, the other properties that they're developing. I don't know who any of these people are, um, and I, I really a, don't care. <laughs> I had an accident in a laboratory, and now I have some sort of superpowers and a secret identity, and someone killed my parents. Yeah, somebody needs to do something about this laboratory experiments gone wrong situation. Yes, we need some sort of health commission. Oh, to occupational police health and safety is terrible. That's right, absolutely. And they all, no they all have murdered parents, which... Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So if you if you have your parents murdered, don't take a job in a lab first of all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. I mean, I was you know saying earlier about the police procedural. You know, the superhero show. You know, is that going to become the new standard for the next decade? And in in ten years' time, when we're doing um, the three thousand episode of this podcast, we'll be going. Oh, gee, it's really nice when someone's made a, a show about lawyers. Isn't that refreshing? Yes. <laughs> it's it's a show about in the ER. It's fascinating. <laughs> But I suppose that's, you know, that's TV. But it's also Hollywood, isn't it? They find a a, a story that works and then they um, tell it 400 times until you hate the thing. That's an excellent segue into the next news um, topic, which was Quentin Tarantino wants to make Django Unchained miniseries. Mm. Django Unchained. Are yeah. you a fan? Um, not my favourite Tarantino product. Um Yes. What can I say? I mean, I, I do love Tarantino. It, it was perhaps not as fun as some of his other movies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What was your? I, I, you know, I I thought it was fun in the fact that it was bigger and the western, and you're on the horseback. But I, 
to be honest, I wasn't crazy about mm. it. Um, I watched it with my wife, and she really liked it, but I just couldn't. I couldn't really go there. I mean, the acting was great and everything, but it just there's a certain malaise that happens with Tarantino films that it's sort of this shellac that he puts on it, and I, it's really hard for me to see through that. Um, if you go into something like Pulp Fiction, fantastic, or Reservoir Dogs, fantastic, but if, anything else that I've seen from him. Kill Bill, for instance, I, I was never a fan of it, mm-hmm. any of them. I, I didn't enjoy. There's just this weird shellac that happens on them, and, and I can't really see past it. It sort of shadows things with a, a bit of a fake, a fakeness, and I, it might be dialogue related. It might be the situations, or it might be the you know the disco music that he puts on top of a World War II film. Well, and I think sometimes uh, I, I'd agree. I also find that there's some amazing set pieces or some amazing sequences that you know I'll always remember from those movies but as a story overall often I find really hard to connect with um you know so it's like almost like a series of film clips put together rather than sort of a narrative that I'm engaged with if you like so so a little bit disjointed um I think I suppose disjointed, but it's also, I think partly what you're saying about the, artificial is a weird word to use. Um, (laughs) uh, It's a bit like, hey, look at this, and hey, look at this, and I'm going to do this now. And you don't necessarily either, you know, for me, either the story or the characters, and hopefully both, have to pull me through the tale. And sometimes with this, it's like, oh, that was an amazing fight scene. That was an amazing bit of dialogue. But together, they're not really telling me anything I'm going to remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Django Unchained is a series. Ooh. Um, I'd be fascinated to see what that would look like. <laughs> now, what what they're saying is he's got 90 minutes of unseen footage that they shot when they did the movie. And he wants to turn that into a, a 3, 30-minute or, or, you know... 120 minutes of uh, a miniseries. I, I don't know that... I, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of fans out there. Personally, I don't feel like we need to see more of Django. Um, the c- cynic in me uh, says, you know, isn't that what you normally put on the DVDs? And this is just a way of yeah. monetarizing your outtakes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, good on him, but really, uh, there's yeah. a reason it wasn't in the movie. Uh, you yeah. put that on the Blu-ray so that Uber fans can go... Oh gee, now I know why that wasn't in the movie. Uh, yeah. Or gee, they should have put that in the movie, but I can't. I can't see how you would have enough cohesive. And maybe that goes to what I was saying. He doesn't think it has to be a cohesive. It can be a series. It might be a series of really great scenes, but how are you going to make a TV series out of it? I. Or you do what they did, what they did with uh, Anchorman. And they put together a whole nother film called Wake Up Ron Burgundy. Yes. Have you ever seen that? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, again, Don't talk go. about disjointed. And <laughs> <laughs> all right, maybe not the best idea. But we would all tune in to have a look at the first episode. Oh, most likely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Are you ready to talk about our first show? That we're talking about two shows today. The first one is Fargo. Uh, and the second one is a series called Penny Dreadful. So you want to start with Fargo or Penny Dreadful? Oh, let's start with Fargo. I think uh, we've only had two episodes of Penny Dreadful, so we're talking a bit more about potential, I think, with that. Um, but let's start with Fargo. So you're asking me to kill this man? No, I, I was joking. Yes. 
Or no. Let him know you're still an ape. Hubba bubba. Dead man in frozen panties. Watching our P's and Q's. Squinting. Sorry, I just bronzed. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's blackmail. That's a pretty specific number. Fargo, an FX original series, tonight at 10. I would hope that listeners have seen the movie Fargo, which was a 1996 mm-hmm. Coen Brothers movie, and one that probably really cemented them as, uh, you know, up there in the echelons of filmmakers. It, it was nommed for just about every award under the sun. And, of course, I certainly felt very hesitant when someone said, oh, they're making a TV series based on the movie right. Fargo. And uh, the Coen brothers aren't making it. No, no. I mean, they have a producer credit, but uh, I think that was probably just signing off on the property. Yeah. Um I should say the creator is a guy called Noah Hawley, um, who really got his first run in TV on um, Bones, which, you know, doesn't really lend you, fill you with excitement. But he did make a series, which I don't even know if you've seen, Ryan, called The Unusuals. I haven't seen it, Okay, no. it was a 10-episode, um, again, and it reflects on the tone that is in Fargo, one of those weird sort of drama comedies set in... Um, a New York police station starring Amber Tamblin and Jeremy Renner. So Jeremy Renner, before he'd oh, been discovered by the movies, Adam Goldberg, who's also in this series of Fargo. Yeah. Um, I think it's... Go and have a look. Uh, it's one of those shows that I think in years to come people will go back and go, and why didn't they pick this up? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Noah Hawley's actually written every episode of the TV series of Fargo. Um, yeah. And what have you thought of it? I am blown away. Now, you say you hope there aren't any listeners that have, haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen the movie. What? I know. Isn't okay, that hilarious? I'm sorry. It's been nice working with you, Ryan. But um, isn't that weird? You can't I know. Be I know. <laughs> so coming into this, not having seen the movie, um, I, I don't know what I'm, I'm missing, but I, I don't think they're really connected, are they? No. There's one. Uh, so. I don't need to explain the plot of the movie. That You don't need to have seen the movie. The only point right. of connection is we have a character in the TV show whose backstory reveals that he found a suitcase full of money in the snow. Uh, in the movie, there is a point where one of the characters, the Steve Buscemi character, Carl, buries that suitcase of money in the snow. And, oh. and in the... I believe, you know, that the events of the movie are meant to have happened 20 years previously. So the idea is that... Um, it's actually Oliver, the wonderful Oliver Platt, um, who yes. is arriving in this uh, small town in, in Minnesota and, uh, you know, is at the end of his tether and he's running away from debt collectors with his family and uh, he comes across this suitcase full of basically a million dollars in the snow. So that's the only direct point of connection it's one of those easter eggs that if you've seen the movie you start flailing and cheering if you haven't seen the movie it doesn't matter at all so there are no references you don't need to have seen the movie at all to get any extra layer of understanding out of the show which is great yeah yeah and i hadn't seen it and he found the suitcase full of money and i didn't know how it how it got there but neither did the character so it, it wasn't something that was needed um I, I would like to introduce a new segment to our show where we um, pick out all the actors who are Canadian and who are Australian, <laughs> just to annoy all of our listeners. <laughs> Oliver Platt, a good Canadian actor. Definitely. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Jules, I, I'm blown away by this 
this TV show, and I've actually, I know we're supposed to do the first three episodes. I've done the first six. Yeah. I couldn't stop watching it. I mean, it's, it's, the acting is absolutely out of this world. The writing is fantastic. Uh, the filming, I think it's filmed in, uh, in Calgary, in, yes. in Canada. Yes. Um, which is, is great. Um, I, I'm blown away. I think this is a fantastic show. I, it's definitely one that I'll continue watching. Um, you know, if if nothing, just for the performances, it's uh, it's really good. And just to um, give people an idea of the setup, so uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, so it's set in small town Minnesota, uh, and it immediately that captures one thing I love movies or shows to do, which it has a really strong sense of place. So of the um, both of the geography and, and you know it's it's a snow soaked town. Um, there's, you know, small town culture. It's very specific, you know, accents to Minnesota. And um, the the story, it's a bit like the Coen brothers, David Lynch and Tarantino actually all went out to dinner and wrote things on the back of a napkin because it captures <laughs> some of the themes they all love about the banality of evil, um, what can go on behind, you know, under the surface of what looks like very ordinary lives in a very ordinary town. So characters that you don't expect to have a depth of, you know, of passion or badness or whatever are revealed uh, or develop over over the course of the story. And it's basically around, which mirrors does mirror the plot of um, the movie a little bit in that you have a very ordinary character, Lester Nygaard, played by the wonderful Martin Freeman, who people will know from Sherlock and The Hobbit. Um, and he plays this very ordinary uh, insurance salesman in this town who gets caught up in these events uh, Really, through a, a series of you know coincidences, if you like, and now d- a dumb question: Th- this wasn't the same character that was in the movie. Was no, it? so in the movie, the there's a similar character played by William, the wonderful William H Macy, right? And uh, again, he's a very ordinary guy in the movie, and and he basically. Uh, He's trying to pull off a deal to, to impress his rich father-in-law and it starts going south and that leads him to set up uh, uh, a deal where he gets these criminals to kidnap his wife. And, you know, ah. So it's, 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 again, it's that slippery slope of um, an ordinary man being drawn into something that ends up being so much bigger and darker than him but also exploring, you know, the darkness in this, you know, really nebbish character the sort of person that you know as we we see in this series get you know is still getting bullied by the high school bully yes yes <laughs> yes exactly and and having not having the best time of it either his wife is is pretty much the exact same thing she's a bully and and mean and controlling and uh, puts him down compares him to his brother uh until one day when he runs into a mysterious stranger in the hospital um which to me, this is truly a very frightening villain, uh, played by Billy Bob Thornton. Now, they listed his name as Lord Malvo, but I I don't know that he's actually said that's his name, has he? It's sort of unclear whether that's his alias uh, or his right. cover, cover identity, um, which we see him receive for the next... He's sort of a, an itinerant hit man if you like I suppose uh, is his profession although he's much actually much darker than that yes. <laughs> um, 
And he, he's almost, he reminded me a bit of the Javier Bardem character in um, No Country for Old Men, in that he's that almost force of nature type evil, uh, right. or a, a capricious god. You know, he likes stirring the shit. He likes right. poking people and seeing what mayhem he can cause. And he's profession. He likes putting people, yeah, he likes putting people in particular situations just to see them wriggle and, and how they're going to try and get out of it. Mm. And or, or, or use that as control over top of them. Yeah, and as you say, he is scary because he's not motivated by you know, greed, or he's not, I was going to say he's not psychotic, that's probably a wrong, yeah, but he's not, a... he's not crazy in the uncontrollable way, he's very controlled, right. um, and he is the sort of person that you can imagine crossing paths in someone's life, and picking at the threads that are probably already there, which we see with, with the Martin Freeman character, you know, he immediately picks up on what's there in Martin that he can, you know, and, and I don't think he cares whether it works or not, but as soon as he gets a sniff that there's something that he can exploit and something he can push darkness, he can push Martin Freeman's character into, he um, he certainly does. And you see that again when, when he runs into uh, Gus Grimley, uh, played by Colin Hanks. Later on, uh, he gets he's pulled over and Colin Hanks, as a police officer, um, pulls him over for running a red light. And the Melville character just uses that situation, uses things around him that he, he hears or picks up on to completely manipulate that and threaten and intimidate that police officer into, into uh, doing what he wants or vice versa. Um, very dark, very scary. And I, I love it. I love every second <laughs> that I'm seeing him on screen. Um, Which, and, I, and I, you know, I, I haven't really been a Billy Bob fan ever as far as i'm concerned i mean there's nothing that i've really thought he was super fantastic in and then i see this and uh, i'm i'm blown away and it is uh, as you say every aspect of this but you know the actors they've got and and one of the key ones is um alison tolman who i don't know that's done anything any of us have ever seen before who plays um molly solverson and she's sort of the central cop character and, and mirrors uh, in the movie uh, the role that was played by Frances McDormand, a uh, wonderful actress. And, right. you know, again, she's a small-town cop, but she's really smart. She's really on to things. Um, and just a wonderful creation of really ordinary, and I don't mean ordinary in a pejorative way, except that she's just a person, you know. She's not yes. a superhero. She's not one of those detectives who's, uh, you know, got some enhanced powers of intuition or anything. Yeah. She's a good cop, and she's an ordinary person who has friends and uh, who's uh, wanting to get on in her job, and yet she makes this person extraordinary. Uh, absolutely, yeah, and... You can say majority of her struggles are just trying to get to a point in in her career or in her standings where she's taken seriously. We as the viewer follow her along and and know that she's all on the right track, but it seems like everyone else in the town is sort of keeping her down and and patting her on the head and saying they're there, um, which I find is a really interesting thing for a character to try to get past. And it's it's similar to the the feelings that people have towards. Um, the Lester Nygaard character as well, where they he's very unassuming and, and people would never jump to the conclusion that he's more than what they see on the outside. 
that really seems to be what this is is, is more of a uh, digging below the 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 outside to to see what's on the inside of all these characters. The Bob Odenkirk character, oh. Bill Oswald, is is great, who steps up to become the the sheriff of the town uh, after the first episode. Um, do you find it hard to not see him as Saul Goodman? Um, I I don't. I was thrilled. I, I was thrilled to see him in this. I mean, it's a very very different character than than Saul from Breaking Bad. Uh, but he plays this so well. I mean, he's not a bad person. He's just quite a you know someone who's quite limited in you know he's thinking but he's you know he's solid if you like you can imagine the people of the town thinking he's a, a solid person he's very concerned about the snow plowing which um <laughs> you know if i lived in that town i'd be concerned about the snow plowing as well but he is that person who's you know not able to see the bigger picture he's not a creative thinker you know he's one of those people none of us would want as a boss because he's going to you know stamp you down at, at, at any sort of hint that uh, you, you get the sense that he's aware of his own limitations and that's why he's particularly hard on um, the Molly Solverson character because uh, uh, she was a bit of the, the golden child of the previous uh, sheriff and um, you know you, you almost you can sense that he's sort of a bit threatened uh, by her so he's sort of quite you know firmly keeps her in her place but not in a way that's you know, ostensibly abusive or bad. He's just got a police station to run and s- snow to plough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's, um, he's not the fun character he was in Breaking Bad. <laughs> no, no, he's not. But it, it, the, th- the funny thing about these characters, is that I do find them, and this is probably my own... My own I don't know, prejudices towards their the uh, Minnesota accent, but I find it hard to take them seriously a lot of times. <laughs> Just with the cute little Minnesota, you know, it's a uh, you know, there's a real murder going on. Oh jeez, he's, oh, he's oh jeez, he's been decapitated. <laughs> oh jeez, right in the right, the head's come right off. Oh, <laughs> which I think actually goes back to what you were saying about underestimate the characters underestimating each other. It is right. that thing about these, you know, they're very e- easy as us as outsiders to dismiss as being slightly comical. You know, they are sort of small town hicks with small town concerns, um, yet they're part of an epic and an epically evil story. And, I, I, you know, I think that's certainly something that Cohen's often look at, and I think as I, you know, referred particularly to David Lynch before as well, that idea that, um, you know, if you want to go back to Twin Peaks, very different sort of show, but also very ordinary people caught up in things that they don't realise, you know, for most of the time are extraordinary because they're only seeing pieces of them and they don't recognise that there are people among them who have these inner lives or, you know are huge in a way. And I think that's part of what, how they play with the audience as well. Um, so that when these things happen, you're sort of like shocked that they're that evil or that competent or that lovable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which I think, I hope we're not going to find with the Billy Bob character. I don't think that we're going to become loving to him. Are we? <laughs> I've wanted him dead from about moment two, so... <laughs> but at the same time, being so fascinated by him, because he's, um, uh, 
you know, his ability to manipulate. He really, you know, I really see him as... It's almost takes me back to like a Greek mythology, and you know, it's almost like a god, you know, walking amongst the humans and and fucking with their lives, if you like, uh, you yeah. know, because he he seems to have this incredible ability to do these things. So um, we should talk about how the show looks because I think the the cinematography is a huge part of it. Yeah, no, they're really going for I think a similar look as as the film had from what I've seen of the film, where we have really wide masters when we're outside on the, that road. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing for almost two kilometers in either direction, just on the, on a wide shot uh, on a lot of things. Um, very open, very uh, flat. Pretty sure they're, they're shooting it on film, um, judging by the amount of film grain that we're seeing yep. in there, um, which gives it a, a really unique feature style look. Um, I, I think they do a really nice job, uh, to be honest with you, because it's it looks it looks different than everything else on TV as far as well. I guess the white balance is going to throw it off with all the snow <laughs> that we're filming. Um, you know, they, every shot has snow. Which, by the way, I love the little touches, uh, things like Lester when he's sitting in the hospital and he's got his suit with his big clodhopper boots. Yes. And his, his, his suit pants tucked into his boots. That's probably something you've never seen before. No, you? no. And again, right. That's but, it's a common thing you see every day. People leave the house in their suit, and they have to have their big, huge boots on. I think it's a, a nice little touch. Well, and and again, talking about a sense of place and a sense of a, a, a culture, a subculture. It's those sort of things that make this. It's not a generic. This could be anywhere with you know, sort of mid-Pacific yes. sort of show, um, you know, and, yeah, the cinematography. I mean, sometimes the screen is, you know, two-thirds sky or, you know, yeah. two-thirds snow. Yeah. Um, and w- yeah. without any giving any spoilers, you know, a recent episode has, you know, probably you know, a couple of extended scenes set in a whiteout snowstorm. <laughs> so... It, right, um, and I think that there were um, some definite visual effects in that area as there well. There are a few CGI it, snowflakes I, I picked. Yeah, I, I would think so, and <laughs> just sort of the creeping in and uh, really boxing everyone in with this fog um, at such a local distance. It's uh, it gave you this claustrophobic sort of feeling. But the part that I loved about that is it had been dis- been discussed for the last two episodes of this big storm that was coming. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden you wind up you're in the middle of this storm that they've been preparing for. And I think that points to both the, some of the strengths and some something that might put a few people off watching is that it's a slow burn, this show. It's not, uh, you know, it's not action-packed every moment. It takes a while to draw you into this story. To, you know, it's not explaining to you who everyone is. It, it tangles and untangles these threads as things go on and that's the reward it gives you is that uh, seeing these things you know and we talked about you know Bob Odenkirk's character obsessing about snow plows for a couple of episodes and then we finally get to the whiteout snowstorm um, it's I would say it's hard to pin down like a genre but it's like if you like true detective <laughs> even though it's nothing like that in content no. it is yeah. a it is a show that you're not going to watch and get paid off with, you know, resolution of part of the story in an episode. Uh, it, no. It's a good one. I'd say it's a good one to watch a few episodes at once. 
uh, and I think we are up to episode um, six now, and there's six, another yeah. four. I think it's uh, yeah, there's ten episodes altogether. So um, it's certainly one you can either catch up with now or even to watch afterwards. But definitely. Um, you know, look, Martin Freeman is, you know, if you've seen him in anything, you'll know he's a great actor as well. And um, I think his his creation of Lester in this is just uh, horrifyingly wonderful. <laughs> um, now, do you hear the difference in accents at all? Like, can you pick them out? Look, not not so much. I mean, I obviously, overall, but I, you, I can't say whether his accent's necessarily any different than anyone else's and I'm assuming that um, I don't know if any of them are native Minnesotians in the in the show uh, I don't know either I, I, I would I guess all the uh, all the day players are going to be Canadian um, and we've seen a few a few different Canadians that we've seen in other things um, uh, I'm thinking uh, um, what's his name I don't have it in front of me but the, the sort of the bald accountant guy that worked for Hess, um, I know who you mean, but I don't know who the actor is. You know who I'm talking yes, about, don't you? I don't know who the actor yeah. is. Can't remember his name. Um, anyways, I, I think majority of people are going to be Canadian. Can kind of hear some Canadian uh, accents here and there. Um, <laughs> well, they sort of sound Minnesotian, don't they? Uh, they can, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, and, oh, yeah. And sure, sure, why not? And uh, Lester Nygaard's accent is very... Um, it's it's very close, but every once in a while you get a little mm-hmm. bit of the English accent coming through. So uh, he's done a good job, uh, regardless. So are we ever going to see an end to British actors coming to America and putting on an American accent and fooling everyone for <laughs> a couple seasons until they come out that they're uh, English? Who was the last person? Andrew Lincoln, I think. Oh uh, yes, the people are still saying. Um, you know, for yeah. he's the lead, obviously Rick Grimes in Walking Dead, and people are like, oh my god, he's English. Yeah, or or Aussies oh, uh, yes. for that well, matter. You can basically uh, Ryan Ryan Quatlin. I'm thinking on True Blood. Oh yes, it's, um, does an amazing American accent, and I had no idea that he was uh, Aussie. Yes, and ironically, he's probably actually one of the better Southern accents on True Blood, even better than yeah, some of the yeah, Americans. He, is. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, he does a great job. But you can uh, you can probably pick yeah. just about any TV show these days is going to have some of us uh, Aussies or Canadians in it because we're. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, well, we're 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 what's keeping the entertainment business alive, right? Because <laughs> uh, we work for peanuts. No, we don't. Um, <laughs> anything else left to say about Fargo, other than obviously people should watch it? Did you recognize Hess? No. Did you recognize the actor who plays no. Hess? Well, if you had been watching Supernatural recently, Supernatural—that's a TV seen him... show I do watch. Yes. Uh, it's uh, you may have recognised them as a certain angelic bowler. Oh yes, um, uh, was it uh, Ty- Tyrus? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Kevin O'Grady is the actor. Ah, yeah, isn't that funny? Because I, I was watching it, and I saw him, and I'm like, hey, that guy looks familiar. <laughs> yeah. Um, two others, I minor, well, more minor roles I wanted to mention, and one of them is Adam Goldberg, who did work with. Oh, yeah. um, the creator of this series in, in The Unusuals, which I was talking about. But um, slightly, uh, this is a Tarantino touch, is there's these uh, other two hitmen. <laughs> lots of hitmen. Mr. Numbers and Mr. Wrench, who are um, right. 
come to town to sort out some stuff and one of them happens to be a deaf mute and their scenes together are just gold i mean it's no it, it, i don't know much about american sign language but they're not really signing are they because that certainly looks made up to me uh as far as i could tell um so adam goldberg who does most of the signing um it looked like it looked like cl- you know clunky sign the way someone signs who's not you know, signing um, who uh, Amslan is in a first language. So uh, I, I would certainly the American sign language is slightly different than the Australian sign language, and I only know a little bit of that. But um, it'd be interesting to find out. So if um, I'll, I will try and have a um, a look around the internets and see if anyone's picked up on how accurate his his signing wow. is. But I certainly their their scenes together are fantastic. Yeah, they're they're very. I love Adam Goldberg. I've loved him for a long time. Um, and he's he was on, wasn't he on Friends back in the day? Oh, probably. He's been in a quite a few things, and he is one of those actors. You'll look at him when you see him. Uh, he's one of those. Oh, he was in that thing, wasn't he? He's an actor who was in that thing. Yeah. But he's got a great yeah. great presence and um, uh, wonderful to see him. I mean, the whole casting and there's. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, the main Alice um, Molly Solverson's father is played by Keith Carradine. Um, right. You know, again, wonderful role. And um, and what an interesting relationship between those oh, two, isn't it? And that's it captures these little moments. Uh, uh, Colin Hanks, as you said, plays this other police mm-hmm. officer who has this teenage daughter. Um, amazing young actor who plays his daughter and again they have this fascinating relationship they're always on the uh, police radio to each other Um, and it is one of those shows where you just both the acting and the writing obviously just even the most minor characters you just um, the uh, the Hess boys who, <laughs> who um, one thing they do with the, the directing often is there's stuff going on in the background, like set pieces. So you'll have two yeah. characters talking in the foreground, the normal sort of two shot back and forth with a conversation. And there'll be something playing out in the background. It could be these two kids bashing each other with a hockey right. stick. Yeah. Um, there's one of the scenes um, where there's... Um, Although Platt scenes where in his in his office there's a window through he's a supermarket mogul there's a window through into the butchery so there's someone <laughs> chopping up carcasses and uh, it's just well he's sitting in his office taking meetings yeah, yeah. and it's and so really well played out you know vision I often say I'm always impressed by t- TV shows that remember it's a visual medium um, no. you know it doesn't have to be just what's happening between the people who are talking. Um, and, no. and this does this so well. It, it really... Uh, and interestingly, I noticed on the roster of directors, each director does two consecutive episodes. Uh-huh. So, that, you know, I think that's an interesting way. Obviously, a lot of behind-the-scenes work has gone into how, you know, they've put all this together. They do two consecutive episodes. Yes, consecutive. Now, whether they're filmed in oh. order or not, but so episode one and two have the same director, episode three and four have the same director, um, etc. So yeah, that would be difficult. Normally, normally in a television environment, you know, you, you use a week of prep, then you shoot for eight or nine days, 
And then you have to go into your prep again and get prepared for that episode. Mm. So it'd be interesting in- to find. So they would have to film them out of order. Either out um, of order or they, they prep two episodes at once. I don't know. Could you do that? Possibly. I suppose you could, yeah. Um, Just as a double episode, maybe. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, something I've not seen before, that, that format. So um, Yeah. Well, very cool. So, everyone, watch Fargo. It's uh, yeah. it's a... Um, it's on FX, isn't it? It's on FX in the US. Is I don't know where. It, where's it on in Canada? Uh, yep, that's a, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, let me have a look. It's on. Uh, it's on FX Canada. There you go. FX Now Canada, something like that. Yes, yeah. and in Australia, it's actually on S, a channel called SBS, which. Um, any Australians listening will know what SBS is. It's uh, ironically, it's the government-funded multicultural channel. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Uh, well, it's uh, Minnesota culture there, so it, you got to learn about Minnesota. Oh yeah, and uh, um, it's on Channel Four in the UK. So look, it's it's had a pretty wide release, but it's really not getting a lot of attention, uh, like either critically or audience-wise. Um, partly because I think it's on FX, so it's not on a big. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a well-known network, but I'm surprised with the uh, the roster of actors that it's got in it that it really hasn't. Uh, you know, you think of the buzz that was around True Detective and that, and you think, you know, yeah. it's interesting how depending on where and when you air, uh, what sort of interest you get. So I haven't heard any buzz about whether it's getting a second season, but regardless, watch it this season. Two really quick things you'll notice in when you watch it: there aren't any pretty people in it. No, there's people who look like, like you and me. Yeah, not pretty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and secondly, I want one of those scarfs. Oh yeah. The whole logo of the scarf, which is a knit scarf that has a guy with a gun and then a guy dead on the ground. Very gorgeous. Very good. Okay, let's move on to something that's also very gorgeous, which was the television show Penny Dreadful. Do you believe there is a demi monde, a half world? In what we know and what we fear. A place in the shadows, rarely seen but deeply felt, where some unfortunate souls are cursed to live always. That sounds like a warning. It's an invitation. Um, Penny Dreadful is a show that's airing on Showtime. It is Showtime, right? Yes. Yes, Showtime. Uh, in the States. Um, just started not too long ago, um, May 11th, and it's the 24th today, so give you an idea, it's only been two episodes, so we haven't had a chance to review three. Uh, stars Timothy Dalton as a, um, mourning, uh, forlorn father who's in search of his daughter's killer. Uh, Dalton plays somebody called Sir Malcolm, uh, who's we find out was daughter was killed, and he's trying to find the spirit or whatever it is that killed his daughter. We're still not quite sure. Something um, evil and possibly something, not not of this realm. Exactly, something evil this way comes. He's teamed up with um, an actress called, uh, named Eva Green, who plays a character called Vanessa Ives. Sort of a soothsayer, um, medium-style psychic uh, that's helping uh, Sir Malcolm find his daughter. Uh, They, in the first episode, connect with uh, the Josh Hartnett character, whose name is Ethan Chandler, a gunslinger type of a a guy who uh, 
They employ his services to assist them. It takes place in Victorian times. Um, what did you think, Jules? Well, first of all, I, I thought this had me, my name written all over it. Um, it's, I suppose, the, the broad concept behind it. For Penny Dreadfuls were almost like the pre-runners of comics in the Victorian times, so they were weekly stories that were serialised stories that were printed. Uh, they became known as dime novels uh, in the States uh, and they told, you know, uh, fantastical stories of, um, you know, daring do and adventure and the supernatural and, and horror. And um, one of the... The first thing that drew me to this was, of course, a lot of what is the origins of horror... Uh, today started in Victorian England. So the stories of Dracula, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, later on Dorian Gray, all those things started then. And the premise behind Penny Dreadful is a mashup of these, basically. Not in a cartoony way, if you like, but the stories are, you know, it's, it's very heightened reality. But... Um, the character, Timothy Dalton character you mentioned, his daughter is Mina Harker, who, of course, is one of the main characters in Bram Stoker's Dracula. We've also met in the first couple of ep episodes Victor Frankenstein. We've met Dorian Gray. Um, I'm sure as time goes on, we'll meet, you know, sort of other characters from this, this era. And it's done almost low-key, the way these characters run into each other. Um, so, you know, that sort of postmodern mashup has, has me written all over it. Uh, I love the the way it's unfolding. We don't know a lot of the backstory, as you say, of these characters, of uh, particularly the um, Vanessa Ives character played by Eva Green, who's absolutely hypnotic to watch, isn't she? Uh, she was great. Yeah, I liked her a lot. Um, the second episode, I thought, wow, what a what a performance she's able to turn out um uh, the first episode i wasn't too hot on her i wasn't sure what her deal was but yeah pretty darn pretty darn good in the second episode um oh and there's also must mention billy piper uh who uh many people except not you would know from as rose from doctor who actually jules <laughs> i watched the first season so i do know oh, okay. billy piper okay uh, and also uh, also from secret diaries um thank you Secret of a call girl. Of a call girl. Um, and many other things. Billy Piper, who plays sort of um, basically an Irish whore working in um, London. Um, look, I think at the moment we can talk about a lot of potential with this series. It's set up, I think, a lot of stuff um, with these intersecting, you know, the stories of Dorian Gray and Victor Frankenstein and, and obviously the main thread being... Um, the, the one around Mal Malcolm Murray, the Timothy Dalton character looking for his daughter. I, I feel a bit uh, uh, wobbling on the fence at the moment. Like, I think it, it's certainly interesting and, and wonderful to look at, and these are interesting characters. I need to, I think, you know, I need at least four episodes to work out whether that's it's going somewhere in a good way or a not so good way yeah, it could become yeah, its own penny dreadful i think yeah that's sort of how i feel as well i mean there there's a lot of potential some really cool looking things um you, you know the this uh the body that they find and it's got oh. these this these things on it and they're trying to figure out what these inscriptions mean and 
you know, this is all fascinating stuff. A, a very, um, you know, definitely not for the weak of heart, this show. Oh, no. uh, it's very uh, gory. gory and bloody. And even even for me, I was like, wow, that's ooh, <laughs> that's really Jack the Ripper style violence they have going on. Um, they talk about the Ripper. Yes. Because I guess it's in the same sort of time period. Yeah, they've sort of I mashed up everything ever... from the um, 19th century. So yeah. let's not pin down the timeline so much. But Jack the Ripper is someone who's been active at this time as well. So... Uh, that's that's a story which you don't know if or how that's going to inter intersect. But um, that the goriness is visually stunning as well. I mean, it's quite. I almost found that a lot of the scenes, even not the gory ones, had an almost graphic novel sense of composition to them. There's a scene where we see um, early on the Vanessa Ives character um, praying. Uh, where she has her head down, so it almost looks from behind like she's headless uh, with the crucifix in front. Um, there, there's some really strong visual elements to this, which I think are, are fantastic. Uh, I just feel there's a lot of balls in the air at the moment. Um, you know, like I don't know if I care about Dorian Gray so far, although he certainly no. is fascinating. It's how they're going to invest us in the very many characters uh it's only yeah. 10 episodes <laughs> yeah um so is it 10 or 8 i have it as 8 oh sorry well i, I just see no no you're right eight you're right 8 episodes um so yeah i'm sort of the, i must say this one story i i engaged with the most after all of two episodes was the victor frankenstein one i think that was really compelling um, but, you know, where... I, I thought that was good. You know, I don't know. Did they need to have... See, this is the other thing. They're, they're putting in all these trademark characters who are public domain at this point, but is it necessary? I mean, couldn't we just have a doctor that, you know, brings people... Does it have to be Frankenstein? Well, you know, no, it, I, no, it, no, it probably doesn't. But I like, you know, for me, I like that how can you imagining all these characters existing in the same time actually in some ways looking at it as a shared universe that fascinates me you know because they yeah. do all have shared elements if you like in their in their stories many of which are looking at uh things about the line between life and death and the duality of, of good and evil in people so there's those uh you know common themes as as well and yeah i just i like the funness of having them run into each other. But they need to do something with it. It can't just be, yes, we have a doctor and he's Victor Frank. And, you know, his story has to go somewhere. And I think that's the thing at the moment. I'm, I'll be interested to see how this week's episode progresses the actual storyline. Um, the, yeah. For example, in the second episode, um, the Josh Hartnett character really doesn't do much. Uh, no. He, Sits around drinking whiskey, basically, <laughs> and, right. and chatting up Billy the, and chatting up Billy Piper, right. and who wouldn't? But you know, it's um, uh, we get the sense that he, you know, he's a this sharpshooter who does sort of sideshows and that. We get the sense he has a dark past. Well, if he's going to be a main character, I need to know a bit more about that, other than that he drinks a lot. <laughs> Right, yeah, I, I think that's important. I, I'm just worried that they're putting too many eggs yeah. in one basket, balancing and bringing all these. You know, I don't know what what are they called? 
well-known characters out in the first two two episodes. We've met what three or four people yeah. in, from this lore. So, I mean, to me, I think you could, probably could have stretched it out a little bit longer. And, yeah. uh You know, but you know, that's we'll see what they can do with it. Um, the Frankenstein's monster, I thought was great. That that actor was really good, mm. and I think he did a good job. I was a little bit concerned because I'm like, well, he seems to be learning very quickly. <laughs> Um, I don't know how quickly. How quickly did the reanimated creature you produced? Learn? I don't know, but it, it just seemed like, like within one episode he'd gone from stupid to smart, and it was like, well, that, that was easy. But then things sort of take a turn at, at that point. Um, again, Dorian Gray, I wasn't crazy about. Uh, not sure if I'm going to give a shit about that character at this point. Well, they need again. There he, needs to be a point to him and his Dorian yeah. and him being Dorian Gray um, and for those people who haven't read Dorian Gray or seen one of the movie adaptations he's a man who basically you know makes a deal blah blah has a, a, a painting of himself in the attic which ages while he manages to lead a very nicely debaucherous lifestyle and stay um, young and uninfected by sexually transmitted diseases <laughs> Or, consu- yeah, or consumption. Or consumption. Um, yeah. And again, actually, it's funny, it harks back to what we were talking about with Tarantino. There's some wonderful set pieces so far in the first two episodes. Now we need the rubber to hit the road and we need to see where these are going in a story that we're going to be engaged with for, for eight episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, let's see if they have it. I, I certainly hope they do, but... There's some things that make me think, maybe, maybe, we'll see. Um, I really like the professor, the the little professor guy that uh, uh, was doing the the reading the hieroglyphics for him. Oh, yes, the Egyptian professor. Wonderful hair. Oh, he's great. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Looks like me on a Saturday morning. (laughs) You should should look that good. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and it is. It's um, um, apparently filmed in Ireland. Um, oh, uh, I think for tax reasons, <laughs> Ireland's like the um, Canada of the UK uh, in terms of filmmaking. I think so. Um, but they've done obviously. There's a you know there's a lot of VFX going on to create um, create Victorian London. Um, and yeah, I think they've you know they've done a, a great job in 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 the look of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the Victorian look is is always so beautiful, and I think they hit it on the head. It kind of had a, it. It reminded me of um, well, obviously in the same time period, the Sleepy Hollow, the the, the movie from the what was that nineties? Oh, the Bert, Tim Burton movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. similar to to a look of, of that. Um, you know, dark and creepy and uh, foggy London town. Um, yeah, uh, what's interesting is both of the episodes that we watched um, debuted at South by Southwest in March, but they also came on to Showtime's Video On Demand service before the episodes even aired. Ah. So they were actually on the On Demand at the end of April, mm. and they didn't start airing them until the middle of May. A, or the, the second week in May. No, I suppose we're, we're talking about different ways of, of broadcasting these days and, you know, possibly a good way to get the word out or get a bit of buzz out about a show before it gets onto, onto TV because the sort of people who are going to watch it on demand are the sort of people who are going to go, yeah, like me, who go, yeah, that's my sort of show. Um, 
and hopefully you like it. I should say Showtime's done a really extensive website uh, for the series as well, um, and a very, very pretty one. Um, you can already buy uh, <laughs> merchandise. Um, But they have, you know, behind the scenes filming, uh, you know, little clips of filming, some interviews with the actors. It's, um, you know, if if you're going to get into the show, it's definitely worth worth checking out. But again, uh, a good looking website doesn't, uh, and some two episodes doesn't get you a series. So I'll be interested to see if it gets a viewership and I'll be interested to see, yeah, ask me again in a couple of, episodes it's certainly one i'm going to hang around with but i reckon episode four might be a bit of a tipping point for me that is that usually how long you give something for three or four episodes if i'm not hooked from the beginning i mean i'm pretty easy (laughs) Uh um i usually will but if i'm i'm teetering and particularly it's only going for eight episodes so if they can't get the shit together by episode four which is halfway through the season uh, i don't know that i'm I'm going to be bothered. What about you? Do you have a cut-off point or do you stay through to the end once you're watching? Usually it's two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it it doesn't even have to be a series that I hate to stop watching. Like, um, Almost Human was a good example. I watched two episodes of that, thought, hey, this is a great show, and just never watched it again. Mm. Apparently, I say with a lot of people because they got rid of it. Um, I, but I liked it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it too. I don't know why I didn't keep watching it. I just didn't. Oh, well, and that also suffered from the uh, Fox disease of showing the first seven episodes out of order, which always does a lot for the development of your narrative. Oh, um, I don't know why they do that. That That is, you know, and uh, that was a meant to be a 22-run season, I think, as well. So I don't know what... I don't even know how far they got filming that. But anyway, I think when you have eight episodes, the... Uh, you know, which we do have this new model now of somewhere between, you know, sort of 8 and 13 episodes for some of these cable series. Uh, the pressure's on to get it right a bit earlier in some ways. But then again, if it's only eight episodes, you sort of think, wow, well, well, you know, maybe if it arcs up in the last three, it's worth getting through the middle part or something. But um, right, yeah, yeah. when there is so much good television around, as I often say, my dance card is pretty full. So if you're not... Um, if you're really not delivering, I, I am likely to do the, you know, I'll I'll watch it later, that l- later time that never actually comes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And it just ends up getting deleted and uh, goes away and you never think of it again. <laughs> All that hard work that somebody's put into something. The lifeblood and creativity, sweat yeah, and tears. Yeah. And then Absolutely. in five years' time, someone will say, did you ever watch Penny Dreadful? It was amazing. Yeah. It was the best show on TV. I don't know why they stopped it. <laughs> well, I won't start my um, mailing campaign to save it just yet because um, I th- pretty much think they're going to be airing the eight episodes. Um, but, uh, yes, maybe we'll later in a later podcast we'll revisit uh, and uh, see how it went for us. What is your prediction? I'm probably 60-40 with it at the moment. So so I'm a bit more Mm. pessimistic than I might have thought after the first episode. Very good. What about you? I'm about, yeah, I'm about the same. I I have a good feeling. Eight episodes, it's hard not to, it's hard to screw it up in eight episodes. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll definitely give it a few more and and see if I like it. You know, that's something... 
to compare it. I mean, we'll get to this eventually, but uh, a similar show was Ripper Street, which was Victorian era police detectives. Um, I gave that a whole first season and then sort of stopped midway through second season. So, yes, oh, well, we are we are going to talk about that, and I think you know it's funny. Some shows really hit their strides in the second season after having have, have you know find trying to find themselves in the first season. A lot of shows don't get that chance these days. Um, and, you know, the, the short run of eight or ten episodes can uh, either be a blessing or a curse because if you don't get your shit together, you don't get a second chance. That's right. Yeah, absolutely true. Well, Jules, my dear, I think we're close to, if not past, the hour. <laughs> yes, we're not promising it's going to be an hour. No, no, but uh, around there. <laughs> um, now, what are we going to talk about next week, Ryan, given that uh, we're assuming our pilot gets picked up? <laughs> oh, well, of course. Why wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, next week, which is a great question, is... And I'm just going to pull up our schedule. Then, Do you have it? Yes, it's a, a show that nearly everyone is watching, which is Game of Thrones. Dun, 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 dun. Now, Jules, you're going to do your interpretive dance for the whole <laughs> opening, correct? I will, and people will have noticed, of course, that the credits are getting longer as uh, as they cover yes. more parts of the 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 uh, landscape that everyone's visiting. Now, I've read the books. I can tell you that by season seven, the credits will go for about half an hour because the nice. show just keeps expanding. Great. Uh, and then, as a bit of a contrast, we'll also be looking at. Uh, and again, another another series inspired by a movie, Dust Till Dawn. Excellent. Something not everyone is watching. No, not everyone yet. And in coming weeks, we're going to cover a pretty broad range of stuff. We will be doing comedies. We will be doing, um, yeah, just about a bit of everything. So hopefully we'll be covering a show you want. Uh, to hear us talk about and if people want to send us suggestions or questions or just tell us how awesome we are uh, they can get in touch with us they can send emails to fans at tvchinwag.com or they can twitter us at tvchinwag Um, or Jules did you want to give your phone number? Yeah, it's an Australian number, so that means there'll only be about three people who can call me, and if they're listening, they've probably got my number anyway. Um, (laughs) So I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been great to get in-depth and chat about these shows, um, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, Jules. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. Send mail to fans at tvchinwag.com or follow on Twitter at tvchinwag. Music for this podcast provided by YouTube Music. For Ryan, Jules, and myself, thanks for listening to TV Chinwag. I don't know.